You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. This morning, uh, let me begin by saying uh, I was so thankful for the Seidels uh, in the time of communion. Uh, they did a perfect setup for the message, and it, there was not a plan there. I mean, they had looked at the message notes, but uh, as I listened to them this morning, I thought, wow, uh, because they, they captured the heart uh, of the message, and there's so many ways we could go with the message today, and so always trying to narrow the focus. But here's what I would say. Today, if you walk away with nothing else, there's, there's two things that I want you to walk away with, and that's it's all about relationship. Uh, the Seidel's talked about this morning. It's all about a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so this morning we want to we focus on the growth of that relationship. But as people who um, have accepted Christ as Savior, if you're here today and you've prayed that prayer and you said, Jesus, I, I believe uh, I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And you, the Word says that you became a new creation and you were in right standing with God right at that moment. Um, then you began a process, and in that process, we're called to take action. And so those are the two things that I want to make sure we get this morning, that it's about relationship with the Father, and in that relationship, we're called to take action. Um, I wanted to begin this morning to lay the foundation by just taking a few moments to share uh, kind of a a bit about my own personal faith journey. And I'm, I'm going to do that for a reason, and I'll tell you that reason in a moment. But Here's how my faith journey began and how it's continued. Um, when I was six years old, uh, and this was a long time ago, uh, I'll give a date on that. In 1967, I was six years old. Now you're doing the math right now. I just turned 50, I just turned 58, and, but I feel like 20 inside, so just want to say that. Um, but I was in a Sunday school class. And um, it was actually a Sunday evening class. The church that I went to had something called Training Union. And it was like a Sunday night, Sunday school. And um, the teacher uh, told the story of Jesus Christ. And uh, after she told the story, she said, Is there anyone who wants to know more? Is there anyone who wants to ask Jesus Christ to be their Savior? Is there anyone who wants to be baptized? And I shot my hand up real quick. I remember it very clearly. Along with another little girl in the class. Her name was, and still is, I guess today, Allison Bishop, unless she's gotten married. Um, and so uh, that led to just a few days later uh, uh, having a, a time with the pastor of our church. The pastor's name was Reverend Charles Hood. And I remember sitting in his lap and he again telling the story of Jesus in a way that a six-year-old could understand and helping me understand that even though at six uh, I, I, was a, I was a good little boy, that um, sin was in my life because of the sin nature. And so uh, I needed a Savior. And, and he told me the whole story. And when he finished, he said, so what do you think about that? Do you want to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And I said, yes, I do. And not long after that, I was baptized. I wanted to make a public declaration of, of what had happened, what had occurred in my life. Uh, the point in my telling you my faith journey, how it began, is to say it didn't just begin, but it continued on. It's, it's been a process. Um, so after that, I began to take action in my life, even as a six-year-old. And I wasn't all that sure of what I was doing, but I had people who were leading me along the way. And so, um, I, like I said, I was baptized. Um, I began to learn what it means to pray. 
And so even as, as a six-year-old, I began to pray. Of course, my prayers were much different than they are today, but God heard those prayers. I began to learn what it meant to read the Bible. And even at that early age, I began to read the Bible. It wasn't so much about quantity, but it was about me reading the Bible. I actually began to memorize Scripture as a kid. And some of the Scriptures that I, most of the Scriptures I remember, memorized as a kid, I still remember today. They're planted deep in my heart. Um, uh, as a teenager, uh, I went to summer camp. Uh, over the years. And great things happened to me at summer camp. I had great spiritual experiences. It's, it was at summer camp that I uh, said yes to God to a full-time vocational call in ministry. It was at summer camp that um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was at summer camp that I met my wife. So let me say, if you're single and you're looking for go to go to summer camp. Yeah, I mean, really. So 35 years, 36 years later, we're still together. You know, it took, you know, and so we weren't just a camp romance. But the point I'm making is that I continued on in a process. Later, I enrolled in Bible college because I knew if I were going to go into full-time vocational ministry that I needed to train. I needed to grow. I needed to expand. And so I spent uh, five years. It was a four-year plan. It took me five years to get through it. Uh, but uh, And then I continued on through throughout my life uh, in this process um, I think that what the Seidels described this morning is they described a point where they they came into relationship with Jesus Christ and then they began to build in that relationship to develop it and they, they talked about the actions that they took. Um, here's, here's what I want to say this morning. For, for me and for you, if, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, at the very moment that you said, Lord, I believe... I am a sinner, forgive me my sin, come into my heart. At that very moment, you experience salvation. And nothing can take that away. You experience salvation at that very moment. You were, at that moment, you were declared a new creation in Christ. You were in right standing before the Father. He, 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 when he looked at you, he looked through Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and he didn't see sin or sin nature, but he saw you as a, as a person who was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that moment was the moment of salvation. But here's what Scripture teaches us. Uh, at that moment, we are saved, and there's no doubt about it. But the Bible also talks about the fact that we, we continue on being saved. In other words, we enter a faith journey. That's why I talked about my faith journey. We enter into a journey, and that journey has to do about learning more and more about Jesus, becoming like him because he is the exact image of his Father. And so as we become like Jesus, as we imitate him, we become like the Father, and we're transformed on the inside. Our heart is transformed, and then our behaviors are transformed. And so there's this ongoing process. We were saved at the moment we believed, and then we continue on in our salvation. And then what we know, Scripture teaches us, is that all Ultimately, when Christ comes back for us, we're going to experience the finality of our salvation. We will be saved. So it's an ongoing process. So for me, for you, if you prayed that prayer, the first necessary step was that you had a a, a heart that recognized you were a sinner, that there was repentance, uh, that you said, God, I am so sorry. And instead of walking away from you, I turn to you. And then there was acceptance of his free gift of salvation. And without those things happening, we could not become saved people. We could not experience what it means to be born again. Those are necessary. That Those things have to occur for salvation. But with that, Scripture teaches that there's an ongoing process. 
In other words, we come to a point of salvation, but then Scripture says that we are to work out in our faith journey, we are to work out our salvation on a daily basis. And so that means we have work to do, and that's not to be confused with, are you saying, Pastor Stan, that we're, we work our way into salvation? No, it's not about works as in doing good things, although we are called to, in our life in Christ, we are called to do good works. But they have nothing to do with our salvation. They are a fruit. They are an outflow of our salvation. So when I talk about where to work out our salvation on a daily basis, it means that we take action so that we can involve ourselves in intimate relationship with the Father so that we can grow and we can come, become like Him. We take action, we learn how to pray. We take action, we read the Word. We take action, prayer and fasting. We involve ourselves in opportunities to learn. We, we come and we grow together on the weekends. We commit ourselves to life groups, wherever the growth, growth groups might be. But there's an ongoing process where as we're learning, working out our salvation means that I, I learn more about the Father. I hear, I hear something in His Word. The Holy Spirit teaches me, reveals that, convicts me of it, and suddenly I go, okay, I, there's something I've got to work out inside of me. That, that's not good. That's not right. And so I begin to work it out, and that working out becomes transformation, that we're always being transformed into the image of the Father. Here's the problem that we encounter far too often. So often, and I can speak this of myself, uh, we get so caught up, so swept away by the demands of life. I mean, is, is your life pretty demanding? Mine is, and it, it, it doesn't get better. I've, I've had to learn how to pace myself and say no. And, but there are always these demands of life that are pressing on. And those demands can become uh, hindrances. They can become distractions that keep us from working out our salvation. We go, I'm so busy, I don't really have time to read the Word. I'll catch prayer later. Whatever it might be. Or sometimes we become distracted by the comforts of life. It's like, you know, life's pretty good. House, car, job, money in the bank, whatever it is. It's like, I'm pretty comfortable. I don't really need anything else. And so again, it becomes a hindrance. It causes us to neglect even to see the need for spiritual transformation. And what happens is when we neglect to work out our salvation on a daily basis, in other words, again, committing to those disciplines, when we neglect to do that, the, the consequence is very negative. The result is negative, and the result is a spiritual, instead of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, it's spiritual immaturity. Let me give you an example of what that means. Um, there is a difference in our spiritual age and our spiritual maturity. Here's what I mean. A person might say, I gave my heart to Jesus. I committed my life to Jesus 25 years ago. So I'm 20, my spiritual age is 25 years but that same person, if they have neglected to work out their salvation, committing to the disciplines, entering into that ongoing deep relationship with Jesus Christ, while their spiritual age might be 25, their spiritual maturity might be that of a five-year-old in Christ. And at least there's been growth, and there's still salvation, but what God has ordained for us is that our spiritual age and our spiritual maturity would track together. This is always going to move ahead, and this might not always keep up, but it should keep in, in close uh, circumference, close track. That, and that would be because we're always giving ourselves 
to intimate relationship with the Father so that we can be transformed and so that we can be changed. Our heart is changed, therefore our behaviors change, and we act differently. I think that as we work to or, or we move towards or continue to move towards working out our salvation, there are some questions that we should be asking ourselves continuously. They're not a one-time set of questions, but they're questions that we should always be asking. And I believe as, that as we ask these questions, it helps us navigate on ahead. And the questions are things like, um, you know, what, what does my spiritual formation what should it look like? What should my spiritual journey, what should it look like? Um, God, what is it that follow through looks? You know, one of the things that Jesus taught is Jesus, Jesus really taught, don't just confess me, but follow through with your confession and, and, and follow through by adhering to my teachings. Actually, there's a, there's a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 6, 46. Jesus is addressing the crowds during his Sermon on the Mount. And he, uh, as he's talking to them, he addresses this need for a faith that has a follow-through. And this is what he says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? You don't do... In other words, Jesus is saying, don't just confess me as your Savior. Don't just confess me, but follow through in your confessions by doing what I teach you to do. So again, back to the questions, we would say, uh, what, is, what is my spiritual journey? What is it supposed to look like? What does follow through look like in my spiritual journey? Maybe the question you want to ask is, is God, what is it that you require of me? Maybe requires a strong word, but it's true. There are things that God requires of us in our spiritual journey. If we want to experience the fullness of life that he has promised us. Maybe the best question is just to say, God, what do you want? Not in an attitude like, what do you want? But God, what is it that you want? How do you want me to live my life? And so with that question... I want to say that today, in the next two weeks, we're going to attempt to answer that question, at least in part. God, what do you want? What God wants. So that's going to be the focus of this week in the next two weeks. And uh, we're going to do that by looking to the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, uh, a very short, one of the minor prophets. Um, And as we do, we're not going to look to the whole book. We're just going to look to a portion of one chapter, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And quite honestly, in the three weeks, we're really just going to focus on one verse, and it's verse 8, because it's in verse 8 that Micah the prophet really clarifies what it is that God wants of us in our spiritual journey. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, if you turn to uh, Micah chapter 6, Old Testament. um, You'll find it. It's there, or swipe to it. And um, so it's little. It's easy to look over. It's right after Zephaniah, I think. Uh, yeah, just past Jonah. Um, and uh, I'm going to read the passage to you in just a moment. But before I do, uh, let me just let me talk to you a little bit about about the content of the book. Um, the content of the book of Micah, written by the prophet Micah, or from the prophet Micah, uh, the content revolves around two. Uh, prophecies or, or predictions, and those two prophecies. Uh, one of those one of those prophetic words given is uh, a prophetic word to Israel and Judah, uh, and it's uh, about pending judgment uh, that's coming because of their actions. 
And then the other significant prophecy in the book of Micah is the fact that God promises to restore his people. So here's the problem that Micah is addressing. Uh, Both Israel and Judah have divided the people into two groups, and they've divided them into the haves and the have-nots. And the problem that's occurred is the haves get treated really well. But the have-nots have not been treated well by both Israel and by Judah. Um, They've been uh, oppressed. They've been downtrodden. They've been mistreated. And so when we look at Micah, what we see is Micah uh, actually uh, delivering an indictment against the mistreatment of the downtrodden and oppressed. So when you read through Micah, it's not one of those books where you go, I feel so good after reading the book of Micah. Wow, I am just on cloud nine. Instead, it's very sobering because it has personal application to us. And so we have to look inside. Are we guilty of the same things? One of the highlights, though, in the book of Micah is found in Micah chapter five, verse two. It's one of the most significant prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ as Messiah. That's the high point in it, is that God will redeem his people. There is a Messiah that is coming who will take away the sins of the world. Um, when we begin, when I read to you chapter 6 in just a moment, you're going to see, you're going to feel like you're in a courtroom scene, and that's really what's happening. Um, what you'll see is a courtroom scene where Micah is acting as a judge, and he's delivering an indictment against both the nations. And then you see God acting as the judge, and then in the midst of that, he deals with, uh, the heart of the matter is that he deals with right heart, and right attitude. He, 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 really what Micah's dealing with is that the, the need, the necessity for a right heart and right attitude. So when we begin to think about how does that apply to us, uh, why, is that, why is that so important to us? Well, when we begin to think about it, it's important because a right heart produces right behavior. So in our Christian journey, in our walk with Jesus, in our faith journey, it's not just about behavior modification. Let me change this, let me change this, let me change this. But instead, it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our heart. And we're convicted. And then what happens is in that conviction, our hearts become in alignment with the heart of the Father. And we begin to make changes. The, the, the wrong behavior becomes right behavior. And so what happens is when this, our, our right heart and right behavior, they, they bless God. God finds great blessing in that. Um, It's important because uh, a right heart that produces right behavior, um, it it positions us to be a blessing to others. It positions us to be a blessing to others. In other words, uh, when we allow our heart to be changed... There's a, there's a change in our behavior. And so in the past, where perhaps we mistreated people, suddenly the mistreatment is replaced with right treatment. And it's because of work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And so maybe sometimes you find yourself like, I would have never done that ten years ago. I would have never acted towards that person the way I did now. It's just completely opposite. It's because you've been experiencing the growth, the transformation of Jesus Christ in your, in your heart, in your life. Um, it, it's important because... A right heart that produces right behavior 
um, it positions us also to receive blessing from God. So, so here's what happens. A right heart produces right behavior. God is blessed by that. And in turn, our right behavior uh, blesses uh, other people. And then as God looks on that, he gives blessing to us. And we don't do it for that blessing, but we receive the blessing that he has because we're living out the life that he's planned. Listen, in our faith journey, it is important that we not carry out ourselves or our lifestyle cannot be conducted uh, as if uh, God's standards that he set in place don't apply to us. We, let me put it this way. We cannot be spiritually narcissistic people. Do you, you know, one of the, uh, one of the great, uh, one of the unfortunate, I should say, traits of a narcissist is that the narcissist believes the rules don't apply to them. Some of you are thinking of people that you know right now, right? You'll catch that in a minute. Um, we can't be spiritually narcissistic believing that God's standard of living doesn't apply to us. Um, we also have to understand that we can't carry on our life, our lifestyle, believing that uh, there's no accountability, that we're not going to have to give account of how we live our lives. We learned this several weeks ago when we were in the series, The End, that um, there will come a day that every one of us will have to give an account for how we've lived our life. And so we have to recognize that as we're living our life. Uh, we have to understand that we can't carry out our lifestyle. So this is all about um, uh, right action, really. We, we, but we can't carry out our life believing that what we believe, how we treat other people, or how we live our lives publicly doesn't matter. Because that's far from the truth. It does matter. Remember, we are, for some people, the only Jesus that they will ever encounter. We become Jesus in the flesh as Jesus is being lived out through our lives. And so with that, people are watching. So we are called to live out our lives publicly as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent him, not ourselves. And so um, with that, let me read the passage to you. And then um, we'll, 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 we'll talk a little bit. Uh, beginning in verse 1. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gagel, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for the transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Listen to this. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So... If we're asking God the question, God, what is it that you require of me? What is it that you want? Then the prophet Micah has stated it very clearly. In our faith journey, we are to act justly. 
We are to love mercy. And we're to walk humbly with Him. Say that again. We are to act justly. We are to love mercy. And we are to walk humbly with Him. It's very clear. It's very plain. It's very, it's very straightforward. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about just one of those in, our, in the remaining time. I want to talk about what does it mean to act justly. I love how the message paraphrases this verse. And it says, but he has already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for uh, in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. So the concept that we're looking at, the, the, the command is to act justly. I have a firm conviction, a belief that in order to understand what it means to act justly, we have to first understand what it means to say that our God is a just God. One of the attributes of the nature of God is the attribute that declares him as a just God who loves justice. So what does that mean? And so... If we get nothing else this morning, let's understand we have to see God in his justice. And so what I want to do, um, I, I, I don't typically do this, but I'm going to read to you several, several points about God's justice just to help us understand, to get a better understanding of it. Uh, God's justice. As a just God, he always does what is right and good towards his creation. He always does what is right and good towards his creation. He can't do anything other than do what is right and good towards his creation. That's who God is. As a just God, he is impartial in his judgment and treats all members of his creation fairly. He is impartial in his judgment and he treats all members of his creation fairly. Because he is a just God, because it's part of his nature, he can't do anything except act without, uh, act, uh, with, he can't act in impartiality. He's fair. He's always fair. Um, the fact that God is just means that he can and he will judge between what's right and wrong. In other words, the rules do apply to all of us. God's standard applies to us. He's going to judge between what's right and wrong. As a just God, he will administer justice in accordance with his standards. That's probably one of the greatest problems. Listen, there are so many rabbit trails that this message could go on today. When you think about the, 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 the condition of our universe, and then you boil that down to the, to the state of our nation, and I'm not talking about just the things of the past week, but over a long period of time, uh, what we have is, uh, is a people who, for the most part, uh, have their own interpretation of what is right and wrong, and it doesn't come into alignment with God's moral law. God will act according to what is morally right and just, and as a just God, he cannot do anything else. That's just a, I don't even know if it's fair to say it's a summary. I don't know if we could really summarize the justice of God, but that's to help us understand. And it's when we understand uh, the justice of God, it's only then that we can begin to understand what it means to act justly. Uh, I'll say it again. To act justly doesn't mean that we simply act justly according to what we personally interpret to be right or wrong. But to act justly means that uh, our acts of justice flow out of biblical, an understanding of biblical justice. 
And a biblical justice flows out of the nature of God. So if we want to act justly, then we look to the word to see what does it tell us about the justice of God. And then we imitate God. We just simply imitate God. And then we're, we're carrying out that acting just in all situations because we begin to have the heart and the mind of Christ. And there's something that changes where before it was impossible for us to be impartial, where we were judgmental as the Holy Spirit changes us. Suddenly we begin to think a different way and we begin to see people in a different way. We, we, be, we begin to respond to people in a different way. And listen, that is what we've been called to. But I confess, it is very hard. It is very challenging. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you a a few thoughts about biblical justice. Uh, If we want to understand biblical justice. Biblical justice. So this is as we're acting out justly in society. Biblical justice is the equitable and impartial application of the rule of God's moral law in society. So we become carriers of the moral law of God in society. Biblical justice involves making individuals, communities in the cosmos or the universe whole by upholding goodness and impartiality. Our acts of justice must live within the rails of God's impartiality towards his creation. In other words, the guidelines are, what does the Bible say about justice? What does the Bible tell us about God is a just God? We imitate it, and that's, that's the guidelines that we live in. Our acts of justice must lead to heart. It must lead to heart, attitude, and actions that treat all members of creation fairly. We must administer justice in accordance with God's standards. And that's, that's part of our transformation because that doesn't always come easy because of the sin nature that wants to be at work in us all the time. Even though we're new creations, the sin nature continues to be at work. So let me begin to bring this home. Uh, in actual practice, to act justly means that we, we act justly through the framework of God's justice as found in Scripture. And as we do that, we, we step to the aid of we deliver the downtrodden and the oppressed. Practically speaking, what does it look like? Um, Very quickly, I want to give you three concepts. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I'm going to give you three concepts of what it means to act justly. Notice I'm saying concepts. I could could give you a list of things that you could do if you do this. This is an act of justice, and if you do this, and if you do this. That's not my intent because I believe that your acts of justice that you carry out according to God's moral law will be in areas where God puts a passion in your heart. Uh, The way you act justly, Uh, in the arenas that you act justly. I might not function in those same arenas. It's not that I'm not uh, called to, but we're going to act according to our passion. So let me give you these three concepts. We act justly as we take a stand to condemn injustice. And I think the key there is that we're willing to take a stand. We have to be a people, the people of God, who will take a stand. We can't just remain quiet. We act justly when we refuse to show partiality, but treat everyone with fairness. That's what God does, and so that's what we're supposed to do. And we act justly when we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed. When we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed. And it's from that that I want to use it as a final launching pad, that there is one thing that I would like to call our church to do. There's an act of justice that I believe that we can all participate in together. And that act of justice actually involves prayer. Let me, tell you, let me give you specifically what I mean. Um, three years ago, 
something was birthed in Charlotte, a movement called Love Life Charlotte. Maybe some of you have participated in the past. Um, Love Life Charlotte is a, a movement of um, strategic and um, non-forceful prayer walks. At one of the large, uh, in Charlotte, we have one of the largest um, abortion clinics in the southeast region of the United States. And so beginning three years ago, uh, each year a 40-week campaign would begin. Uh, this is happening now. Uh, and, and in that, um, believers would gather together near that abortion clinic, not to protest, not to hold up signs, not to yell, not to scream, not to shout, but it would gather initially for a prayer rally, and then that would be followed up by a very peaceful prayer march where you've been given instruction of how to pray uh, through. And there's, there's, no, there's no contact. There's, you know, nobody's, nobody's fighting. Nobody's yelling. Nobody's screaming. Uh, but there, there's been power in, in the prayers that have gone up by the believers. And so what we found uh, over the, the three years is that the result is that hundreds of babies whose lives would have been terminated are now living. They're alive. And it's because people were willing to take a stand and act justly through prayer. And so there are two ways that we're calling us as a church to be involved. Uh, On Wednesday, uh, uh, it's been declared as a day of prayer and fasting for Love Life Charlotte and the upcoming uh, prayer uh, vigil march that will happen next Saturday. At the Cornelius campus at noon, the auditorium will be open for a time of prayer. Our women, as they gather here on Wednesday morning for the Wednesday morning Bible studies, will be joining in prayer, prayer and fasting throughout the day. Um, The second way that we can get involved is I would ask that you would consider joining uh, Cammie and I, uh, Pastor Farrell, uh, so many um, of our church, our Grace Covenant family, that we would go and we would just be part of a prayer rally that would allow us to take a stand to act justly on behalf uh, of the downtrodden and the oppressed, those, those unborn children. We want to see them. We want to see them born, right? We want to see that life continue. And so with that, rather than me just talking to you about it, I want you to watch a video that will give you some indication of what it is. Uh, ignore the date because it's from last year, but, and then I'll tell you how to be involved this year. When you show up and pray, you are opening your mouth. You're speaking for those that don't have a voice. And that's what we're called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, those that seek to save their life will lose it. But those that lose their lives for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they will find it. Church, now is the time for us to lose our lives for the sake of those who need our voice. We've got to lay our lives down. We've got to give up a Saturday. We've got to give up a day of the week for the sake of those that don't have a voice. I just want you to understand that you are part of making history today. And what happens in the city of Charlotte can literally spread around the country. Jesus said to us, to you and to me, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. When I go into a dark room, I don't curse the darkness. I say, where is the light? Let your light shine. Friends, let's make history today in Charlotte.
this is our city. This is our generation. These are our children. This is not the end. This is just the beginning, church. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. the power of prayer in action. Would you join us? Would you act justly? Would you take a stand? Um, it's not necessary that you register to, to participate, but if you do, you have this card in your, in your worship guide. Um, if you were to fill it out and drop it off at the uh, place out there <laughs> where you get information about the church. <laughs> I'm new. I'm still learning a few things. Uh, it just slipped my mind. As the card did. Um, what would happen is you drop it off out there, and uh, you could uh, you'll get an email this week that just gives you some very good details. Uh, the prayer event that we just watched starts at 9 a.m. You would want to arrive early so you get parking and you could just gather. Um, it's going to be a powerful day, and so I would just encourage you, please join us in that time. Uh, join us in prayer on Wednesday, and then we have the ongoing opportunity in our own area of the our local pregnancy center that you can be involved in on a, on a, day, a weekly basis. So would you stand and I want to pray for us. Father God, thank you for just so clearly revealing what it is that you would want us to do. And so I pray that we would be a people who uh, would just continue to grow in our relationship with you um, as we're formed spiritually, Father God. I pray that we would be people who act justly, that we could take a stand for the oppressed and the downtrodden. Teach us how to do it, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.